Welcome back, everyone, to the Dual Threat podcast here on YouTube or on your favorite audio platform right here on Spotify. I'm Mark Rogers, also joined by Scott Fisher. We come your way each and every Monday morning. You can catch our podcast wrapping up the college football weekend with what we believe to be the best topics from that college football weekend. If you've got any requests, any recommendations for topics, certainly send them our way. How are you doing tonight, uh, Scott? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Mark? I am doing just fine. So we had an interesting situation, of course, concerning one of the teams that most people expect to be in the college football playoffs. Ohio State's game against Illinois was canceled. So that's a second cancellation for the Buckeyes. They missed their date against Maryland a couple of weeks ago. So, so, so right now, Ohio State's in a interesting situation, I guess you could say, where they played five games, they're 5-0. and oh. uh, The Big Ten stipulation is that a team must play six games to qualify for the Big Ten championship uh, based on quarantine requirements set down by the Big Ten. They're more stringent than, let's say, the NFL or the other major conferences at 21 days. Uh, people are speculating right now that Ohio State may not get back on the field before the weekend of the Big Ten Championship that they wouldn't be able to qualify for, although there's speculation that they may be able to, that some of these tests are were, were dated at a particular time that they might be able to get on the field against Michigan State next weekend. So what is your take on, on this situation? Well, as an IU fan, Indiana fan, I'm I'm hoping that somehow Ohio State has to sit out, but as we all know, the Big Ten loves Ohio State, and they're really the only chance the Big Ten has as a college football playoff spot. And with Justin Fields potentially winning the Heisman, so they'll do everything in their power to, to look at the rules and make sure Ohio State can get on the field. And I can 100% assure you that Ohio State will play another game. So how do we know that the Big Ten loves Ohio State? Well, and then you just know they're, they're, the, they're the class of the Big Ten, and they're really the only team that has any sort of fighting chance and they're definitely the biggest name in the Big Ten. So I think that they're going to help find a way to get Ohio State back on the field. Yeah, there's no question in everything you just stated that Ohio State has dominated the Big Ten pretty much for 15 or 16 years, going back to 2005. But at the same time, I don't see where the Big Ten has really done Ohio State many favors. I think they, for their own best interest to get into the college football playoff, they should be looking out for them. But if they want to stick to their guns, then they're going to hold fast to this rule, which I think is a ridiculous rule because take in this scenario, Scott, let's say Indiana can't play the next two weeks and Ohio state can't either. So Indiana's five and one and Ohio state's five and oh, and Indiana's going to go to the big 10 championship game. They're, they're five and one and Ohio state's five and oh, and Ohio state beat them head to head. And the big 10 has this, ridiculous rule about playing six games which doesn't make sense because all Ohio State would have to do is say uh we forfeit one of those games we didn't play <laughs> just give us a forfeit and we will qualify for the Big Ten championship game because we beat Indiana head-to-head uh it seems like a rule that wasn't really thought out that well no I totally agree with you and sadly I don't think Indiana's good enough to be in the Big Ten championship and Star quarterback Michael Penix went down with some sort of lower leg injury, and we don't really know what it is. He could be back next week or he could be done for the year, but Indiana's defenses look good. But Ohio State's a team that needs to be representing the East in that championship game. 
Yeah, Jack Tuttle came in. He was a, a big transfer from Utah, highly touted uh, coming out of high school as a four-star. Uh, Northwestern didn't do the Big Ten any uh, favors by losing to Michigan State, and that takes away another undefeated team. And either, obviously, their path to the college football playoff is pretty much dead, and it also hurts, let's say, Ohio State's chances having matched up uh, potentially against an undefeated team. Uh, I find it interesting also that Ohio State could match up with Wisconsin on the weekend of the Big Ten championship game uh, as the rest of the Big Ten is going to play seeded games one through seven uh, in addition to the Big Ten championship game. So let's say Indiana does go and Ohio State's eligible to play that day. It seems ludicrous that a five and one team is going to go to the Big Ten championship game that lost to a five and O team that's eligible to play and healthy enough to play that day. And they're going to play Wisconsin somewhere in a game that a lot of people might pay more attention to uh, because it matches up probable better teams. And the committee may just say, you know, we'll, we'll look at that as kind of a Big Ten championship game for Ohio State. So it could be extremely interesting. Uh, I threw out my, my recommendation of a forfeit for Ohio State, if that's what it would take. But I understand from talking to a few people that the Big Ten will not allow anyone to forfeit a game. Uh, I did not know that. And one interesting side note I wanted to make about Jack Tuttle is that uh, Zach Wilson grew up a Utah fan and he wanted to go to Utah, but Jack Tuttle was committed at the same time. And he told the Utah staff, don't recruit any other quarterbacks because I'm your guy. And we'll see it. We look how that turned out for them. Yeah, they would love to have Zach Wilson, obviously, right now. But uh, Tyler Huntley won that job and Jack, and, uh, Jack Tuttle obviously could not get on the field. All right, Scott, I uh, want to remind everyone that uh, – Please give us a review, uh, leave us a comment, uh, subscribe right here to uh, the Dual Thread Podcast, whether you're watching on Spotify, listening on Spotify, or checking us out, uh, the clips that we provide on YouTube. So just look up Dual Thread Podcast on YouTube. You should be able to find us, and you get cut-down versions of your favorite topics right there with Scott and myself. Scott also has a YouTube channel that you definitely want to check out. Uh, for some deep dive subjects into college football and college basketball, just look up Scott Fisher and you can find me at uh, Mark Rogers TV, uh, the voice of college football on YouTube. So by looking at the Big Ten scenario, we kind of started the playoff conversation, Scott. So based on this weekend's results, any thoughts about how the playoff race has changed? Uh, to be honest, I mean, Northwestern ruled themselves out. Oregon ruled themselves out. Um, Notre Dame, I think solidified, solidified that they're probably going to be in no matter what happens. So I think it's going to be, it's Clemson. It's going to be up to Clemson to get back in that ACC championship game and then beat Notre Dame to get in, but it should be those two. And then Ohio state and Alabama, Texas A&M still in the hunt too. And Florida is also still in the hunt. Yeah. It seems like it's pretty clear cut. Uh, let's say Ohio state is able to play enough games. They get there, they're undefeated. The Alabama-Florida winner as winner of the SEC is going to get in. The logjam could take place if Florida pulls off the upset in Atlanta because then Alabama is still going to have a, a, a huge claim as being the dominant team in the country this year, having just lost the one game. And then that brings Texas A&M into the mix. And as you mentioned, everyone's eyeing that ACC championship game because if Notre Dame sweeps, then, of course, they're in. That knocks out Clemson. But if we get the split of the season series that many people expect, then Notre Dame, is, as, well, as, as long as they play well in the ACC championship game, 
you would think would get that spot. So it looks like if chalk prevails, it's Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. The Florida win in the SEC championship game could really change things. And, of course, if Notre Dame sweeps, that knocks out Clemson. And then what about uh, Cincinnati? So it could be intriguing. Uh, Texas A&M still has three games to play against decent opponents, not great opponents, but still capable opponents, Tennessee Ole Miss. And I'm not coming up with the other one. Auburn, they've got Auburn next week. So that, uh, that could be interesting after Texas A&M really struggled offensively against uh, LSU. And then what do you think about BYU? I myself think BYU is an unfortunate situation because they are undefeated. And so I like to honor the record to a certain extent, but the, the schedule is just so bad. And it's not their fault because the original schedule they had was a typical BYU schedule that was top heavy in September and early October with Pac-12 and Power 5 teams. And then it uh, wasn't so strong in the back half, but still had that five or six games to give them a test. And now you're looking at a team trying to qualify with the likes of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, whose toughest game was either Boise State or Houston. So I just just really can't put their resume into consideration. I think Cincinnati's a different case because I think the American Conference is strong, um, arguably in certain sections as strong as the Pac-12 or the ACC. And Cincinnati's not just won those games, but aside from UCF, which was a struggle uh, that they pulled out, uh, other than that game, they dominated uh, good teams in that conference. Yeah, exactly. And um, if BYU had been able to play in Oregon or USC, do you think that would have changed anything for you? I think that the committee, and I think just us as college football fans and analysts, would have loved to at least seen that one test. Uh, of course, everybody else has to face three, four, five quality opponents. BYU has, depending on how you rate Boise State and Houston, in my eyes, no quality opponents. Um, so I would have loved to have seen the three or four, but uh, just to get one to see, okay, can, can they handle themselves? On, a, on a, It's just difficult also for me, even though I don't believe in taking what has happened in the past, what the perception is of the past, 2019 and prior to, whether that's a Pac-12 that's been down or whatever the perception for that particular conference or program. It is hard for me to believe against this schedule that BYU that's going basically seven and six every year, that's a typical BYU finish, seven and six, eight and five, suddenly has become a college football playoff contender and against a reasonable schedule would be 11 and one or 12 and 0. That's just hard for me to believe. No. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that one. I know they originally were scheduled to play Missouri. I'm a Mizzou fan. So that was going to be a really good game. That was supposed to be a, a a late October game. And I know they had a lot of our power five schools. I don't know if they would have taken all up that step all the way to a playoff contender. Scott, you mentioned uh, Zach Wilson. He's got his uh, Heisman backing as well as a number of quarterbacks across the country, it's become a quarterback-dominated award, and it doesn't seem as though that's going to change this year. Uh, How do you think the Heisman uh, race is shaping up right now? I think it's becoming more and more competitive by the week. I think we all know that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were supposed to be the guys that were going to win it, but Mac Jones and Kyle Trask have solidified themselves as star quarterbacks. Then you throw in a guy like Zach Wilson as well, 
and all of a sudden it's a pretty competitive race. And we're going to see how much the, the committee or whoever decides the Heisman, the voters, weigh how many games each guy plays because Fields is going to play less games than everyone else, but arguably his numbers could, could potentially be more dominant. But a guy like Trask is – Trask should be winning it right now, which he is, but also Mac Jones is playing really well. And, you know, for Alabama, they have more of a running game and Mac's still putting up those numbers. And Florida, it's mostly been Trask this year. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this all plays out. For me, it's a two-man race right now between Trask and Jones. Uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't play in the most important game of the year. He also didn't play in another game in which Clemson was threatened down to the wire by Boston College. So in a sense, he hasn't played in, let's say, two of the three most important games of the season. Uh, Justin Fields, his numbers are crazy good in four of the games, but he didn't play that well against Indiana with three picks. And so he would have had to play kind of out of his mind, at least – based on my observation for him to, to be a serious contender, and he just doesn't have enough games against good teams to prove it otherwise for me. Uh, Sam Howell's amazing, but they've lost three games and didn't come through against uh, Notre Dame this past weekend. So for me, it's between Trask and Jones, and I think most voters are going to go in Trask's. If, if both of their seasons and trajectories stay in line with what they've been, I think people are going to side with Trask, believing that Jones really benefits from probably the best wide receiver core in college football and just the amazing talent that he has surrounding him. Uh, not that Trask's uh, surrounding cast is that uh, is, is lacking in any way, but certainly doesn't have the ground support of a Najee Harris. So I, I'm thinking that it's Trask's award right now, and certainly an SEC championship game win would be huge towards securing that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, do you think there's any other guys from other positions? I know Devontae Smith has been mentioned, but it's supposed to not be a quarterback award, but that's what it's turned into. But any other positional guys you think could, they probably don't have a chance, but are in the running? Yeah, I would like for us to be able to say that it's a quarterback or skill position award because it's 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 arguable as to best player in the nation because then we see the NFL draft and we see pass rushers and offensive tackles taken number one. And, and I'm not trying to make a correlation between the Heisman Trophy and scouting projections for the NFL because I think that they're largely unrelated, but it's just underlining that the best player can come from any position. But this is a skill position award and primarily at quarterback, so I have an issue with that. Um, you know, Brees Hall's had a tremendous uh, season at Iowa State. I think Texas was the first team to hold him under 100 yards. He still had a nice game with 91 yards as they have basically made their way to the Big 12 championship game. Uh, Javante Williams was leading the nation, at least going into the weekend, in rushing touchdowns at North Carolina and had a crazy yards per carry average and had a nice game against Notre Dame. Uh, Najee Harris is having a great uh, season at Alabama. You mentioned Devontae Smith. I think he's the best wide receiver in college football and putting up big numbers, especially in place of Jalen Waddell. And he, I believe, had 171 yards against uh, Auburn over the weekend. So I I don't see anybody pushing those two quarterbacks, but uh, definitely those are the guys that come to mind in regards to that should, should receive some consideration. Yeah, and in your mind, has Travis Etienne kind of been a bust this year? Yeah, he really just has not had big games in the better 
um, venues against the better teams, uh, the offensive line has obviously struggled. I don't, I don't want to call him a bust. I think he's just as good as he was. I just think circumstances have been that he gets keyed on and the offensive line, I believe, lost. They lost four of their starting offensive lines, which underlines again, you know, Travis Etienne is no different of a player today than he was a year ago, uh, which underlines how important the offensive line is. I think it's the most important unit on the field and he lost four starters and, you know, he's had his string of like 40 and 50 yard rushing games. Um, so his decision to stay, I admired it at the time, but uh, it certainly may cost him a little bit. No, I, yeah, I agree. And in terms of Trask winning the Heisman, he's in the SEC East and Georgia, they, Florida looked a lot better than Georgia. And we don't know how that would have changed had JT Daniels played. But outside of Florida and Georgia, you have Missouri, who's at four and three. But the rest of the East just looks terrible. Do you think the East is that bad, or what's your take on all this? Well, I think the SEC East has certainly seen its better days. Uh, there was a time during most of the 90s in which, and the early 2000s, in which you had Georgia and Florida, but then you also had Tennessee as a major, major national power. Uh, I think the SEC East is. Uh, I'd have to sit down and take pen to paper to really rank the divisions, but I think it gets compared to the West, which I believe is the best division in college football. So I think it takes a bit of a hit there. I did a little math last night and see where the West has beaten the East 16 to eight in 24 games. So that's fairly dominant. I don't think it's overwhelming. Uh, I think that the East is, I think if we're going to say that the SEC East is bad, then I would pretty much say almost every division in college football outside the SEC is bad. Uh, I think it's better than both ACC divisions. It's better right now than the Big Ten East. Uh, I wouldn't have said that before the season started. I would have had to really think about it. I just think that it's difficult, number one, to rank any conference right now. And then it's, by extension, it's difficult to rate any division because they didn't, nobody's playing anybody. There are no games to compare the conferences and or the divisions. Therefore, meaning that everybody's just beating each other within their conferences. So every conference is going to have a 500 record. So it's impossible to necessarily rate the conferences and therefore rate the divisions. So my last point there is, had the SEC East been able to play non-conference games like it typically does, then we would have a better judgment on how good uh, the division is, but we missed on, uh, I forget who was supposed to play whom out of the division, but, uh, you know, you mentioned BYU and Missouri. Well, we didn't get to see that game um, and, and others like it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look at Vanderbilt 0-8, their best moment of the season comes when, a, like when the girl makes the first kick in Power 5 history. Oh. South Carolina is trying to find a new coach. Tennessee's completely been a bust compared to the preseason hype they had. Kentucky looks like they've taken a step back under Stoops. And Missouri's kind of been a little bit of a surprise with their first-year head coach, Elijah Drinkwitz, and they're at four and three. And they have Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Georgia left. So they could easily win two of those games potentially. And they're probably the surprise of the division. But I think a lot of people thought Georgia was still going to beat Florida this year. But the East has been a very weird, weird scenario this year. 
Yeah, it's just difficult for me to knock the East too much when one of the five best teams in college football is there and Georgia has one of the three or four best rosters. So two definite top 10 teams are in a division of seven teams. And I know that there's a significant drop after that. And and as you mentioned, not stellar seasons from Tennessee and Kentucky in particular that were expected to be better. Uh, but uh, difficult for me to rank uh, these divisions and conferences uh, when they haven't played anyone. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how those teams perform in bowl games. Yeah, another conference that is supposedly, or a division that's supposedly on the rise every year is the Big Ten West. And, and once again, Purdue, Nebraska, Minnesota, they were all supposed to be pretty decent this year, and they've all looked pretty bad. And it's kind of been Wisconsin and Northwestern who have taken over the division. And in terms of Nebraska, what do you even make of what's going on with Frost? And just every week they just seem to find a weird way to lose or play. Or they just don't play well. Yeah, it is not working well for Scott Frost in Nebraska, and I was certainly in favor of that hire at the time. I thought he was the right guy for the job. He had done a tremendous job at Oregon as offensive coordinator and at UCF, and then he comes in knowing, of course, based on his legacy of winning national championships at quarterback at Nebraska, knowing the culture, uh, the recruiting footprint, knowing Nebraska football, having that passion, that desire to win there and to bring them back. Uh, they started off 0-6 his first year, and then they played really well down the stretch, went 4-2, and only lost to a top three Ohio State team by one score, and took uh, a good Iowa team to the last second. And so I thought they were off and running and would show reasonable improvement last year. They didn't. And this year, again, they might have played their best game of the season, actually, against Iowa over the weekend, and it still wasn't good enough. But that might have been their best game of the, of the season. The week before, they got trounced by Illinois. So for Nebraska to be um, – I had a Nebraska show. Uh, we do a Nebraska show every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Eastern time on my channel, a live stream. And – I quickly went through the recruiting rankings that comprise the rosters for both Iowa and Nebraska and Nebraska should have roughly a, depending on how you look at the rankings, a roster that's twice as good, meaning that their average ranking for that entire roster is 20th in the country and Iowa's was 40th. And there's no comparison between the two records of the two teams over the course of that four to five year span. Um, so Scott Frost is having some of the same struggles that Jim Harbaugh is having in finding a quarterback or developing a quarterback. And that's uh, kind of job number one. Luke McCaffrey has played a couple games. He doesn't look to be any better than Adrian Martinez, who statistically had a nice game against Iowa, but it was all, all a bunch of uh, check downs and dump off passes. They couldn't stretch the field. He's not that type of quarterback. And Scott Frost is recruiting well. And, I think that um, I would give him another shot in 2021, certainly if I was in charge, but uh, I, I don't have an answer for what's not happening there. I just, yeah, I just don't even understand what's going on. They have, they seemingly have a lot of talent. They had like Maurice Washington at running back and they have like, they had Spielman and Wandale Robinson and Omar Manning at one point, And they just can't seem, they, you should be able to beat Illinois 
just with in terms of talent and not even like have an average coach and be able to beat Illinois. And they got Illinois showed them that they were the better team and all facets. And it's just kind of sad seeing Nebraska football fall off like it has. And just every single week they just don't compete. And then they had a chance to beat Iowa and Martinez, I guess some either running running back or one of the tackles didn't pick up a block, which they blindside head on Martinez and he loses the ball and that's the game. And it just seems like something like that happens every week or they get blown out. Yeah. Some of these playmakers that they've recruited, whether it be out of junior college or out of high school, just haven't panned out. Wandale Robinson would be the exception. He's their number one threat right now. Omar Manning hasn't even seen the field as a uh, the number one junior college wide receiver. Uh, so again, I talk to Nebraska people all the time and have uh, guys on from rivals and so forth, and they don't know why Omar Manning has not seen the field. He just stands on the sideline every week. Uh, Maurice Washington's a great example of a guy that had all this promise, and he got into off-field issues and had that track record before he came to Nebraska. And then he came to Nebraska and played three or four or five games and showed flashes. And then he got into more trouble and boom, he's gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. It's certainly, they play in a division without an elite program, no Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama type program. So with their resources, with their brand, their legacy, I know recruiting is difficult in that part of the country, but they're competing against teams that have that same issue. Uh, there is no, no reason why Nebraska shouldn't be in the Wisconsin-Iowa class and at least competing for division championships most seasons. Yeah, I totally agree. And I agree with your point about the quarterbacks. They just can't get Martinez or uh, McCaffrey to really do anything. And Noah Vedrold looked pretty good when he went off to Rutgers. And then another guy who left Tristan Jebbia over to Oregon State, he's had a pretty solid year. And Oregon State had a big win, and a lot of people don't even really know who Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is and kind of just see Oregon State as this doormat, but they just beat number 15, Oregon. And if you look at the trajectory that this, this program is on, they're doing a lot better. Have you? Uh, what do you think about Oregon State and what's going on there? Well, I'm definitely old enough to remember Jonathan Smith's uh, quarterback days. So uh, he was certainly the guy in charge on the field when Oregon State enjoyed its greatest success, uh, most successful season in 2000. Uh, they finished number three in the country that year, went 11-1, and one, beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, killed Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they had Chad Johnson, wide receiver, TJ Hushmanzada. So here comes Jonathan Smith close to 20 years later, and uh, I think he's just a perfect fit and <laughs> Ironically, right after we get done with the Scott Frost conversation, who seems to be on the surface a perfect fit for Nebraska, and Jim Harbaugh would be for the same reasons at Michigan that Jonathan Smith would be at Oregon State, where uh, that job is a stepping stone job. It's one of the bottom five power five jobs, but they might be in a perfect situation right now with Jonathan Smith because that's his alma mater. That's his, and it's going to be, I'm not saying that he would never leave Oregon state because coaches are motivated by uh, different things. But uh, I just had an Oregon guy on a few days ago who really knows that rivalry knows those two programs and says that Jonathan Smith, you know, he's just so ingrained there 
uh, not just as it being his alma mater, but uh, his love for the area. That's where he's from. His family's there. And so it would take a lot to get him away from Oregon State. So Oregon State might be in a great situation to be able to at least maximize um, as much as they can get out of a coach who really wants to be there and is truly a really good coach. Uh, prior to Jonathan Smith arriving at Oregon State, if you look at the advanced metrics, they fielded some of the worst teams in the last 20 or 25 years of college football. Like uh, in terms of the advanced metrics, both offensively and defensively, they were atrocious. And, uh, you know, he lifted them to four wins in the Pac-12 last year, five wins overall, and uh, gets this huge win against the top 15 Oregon team on a Saturday Saturday night. So it's impressive and it's fun to watch. And I like to see uh, underdog programs like that be able to maximize what they have and, and challenge some of the big boys. Yeah, exactly. And I think Smith has, he's really the only guy who has that killer instinct to want Oregon State football to be better. And he knows exactly what it takes to win because he has one there. He's kind of done it in a different way. They did get a four-star recruit for the 2021 class, but for the most part, they've been getting a lot of their talented guys through the transfer portal. I believe they had eight transfers his first year come in, and then I think about five or six last year. And he's a lot of them were four-star recruits. Like I think they had two four-star recruits from Nebraska, a guy from Florida State, a guy from, from Auburn, a guy from Arkansas. So he's bringing in talented guys just through the transfer portal, and it's seemingly working, and then he's getting guys to buy in. And then – Oregon State isn't a pretty tough division with Washington, Stanford, and, and Oregon, but, I mean, Washington's a little bit down right now, and so is Stanford. So Oregon State has a potential chance to not necessarily be the worst team in the division anymore. Definitely interesting to keep an eye on uh, Jonathan Smith and Oregon State in this uh, shortened season. want to remind you that um, – this is the Dual Threat Podcast that you can join us each and every Monday morning is when we release this, uh, wrapping up the college football weekend. So please join the, dis- the uh, discussion and debate with us and certainly serve up some topics for us that you would like to hear us um, share with you. Uh, lock it in right here at Spotify. Give us uh, a like, a comment, uh, tell us what you think, and uh, please rate the podcast as well. You can join Scott on YouTube. Just look up Scott Fisher. He's got some great videos there, really in-depth coverage of college football, some stories um, that uh, you won't find anywhere else. You can join me at Mark Rogers TV, the voice of college football, covering uh, the game we all love each and every day as well. All right, Scott, uh, great conversation. Hope to uh, be back with you next week, and uh, we'll take in another weekend at college football. Yeah, we will see you guys again next Monday.